Today I started a new series on a new subject. After our staff, uh, we really went around the mountain several times, you know. Uh, I want to stay on the kingdom of God. He said, it's, it's done for a while. Do something new. So anyway, we often say in our staff meetings that if we could do some type of like live streaming of how our office runs and our staff meetings run, we'd probably have a great fundraiser. So hallelujah. All right. So today I'm going to start on marriage and family, marriage and family. We haven't talked about this for quite a while. And I think it's really super important. Uh, marriage and family, of course, is central to God's design for our world. And through marriage and family, God brings life and blessing, meaning, and purpose. In fact, understanding his design will help all of us. It'll strengthen us, bless our homes, bring blessing to our communities, even the nations we live in. In fact, the whole family unit is the basis of our nations, of the world that we live in. So uh, we're going to learn some principles of how to build strong marriages and families. We're going to start with the Torah. I want to just say, before we get into the subject matter, the Torah reveals God's ideal for marriage and family. But we live in a broken world. We are broken in our sin. You know, we're, we're, we're coming through this grid of redemption. And so don't be discouraged when you see the ideal and you think, man, that just seems like it's so far from where I'm at. That's okay. God understands that. He's shown us a way back. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. And now he's helping us to get back in alignment with his ways. Wherein lies the blessings, right? So wherever you're at, it's okay. And just ask God for grace to step more fully into where we are going in this series. And know that sometimes it takes generations to really get to the ideal. You know, you'll take it so far, mom and dad, and your kids will be better because of what you guys did and invested in, and then your kids will take it even farther. Righteousness grows and increases, as does wickedness, dysfunction, brokenness. And so as we find ourselves redeemed and living for the Lord, just Know that there's grace for all those areas that you don't measure up to. We're saved by grace through faith. But as we press on by the Spirit of God to step up to His ways, our kids are going to take it farther, and their kids are taking it even farther, and our generations will become more and more blessed and righteous as we go. Amen? All right. So let's start. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. When we stop to think of the universe that, that we live in, right? Our planet, our solar system, our galaxy, the universe. I mean, it's overwhelming when you think about how intricate that is, how big that is, how vast, how complicated. It's, it's beyond our comprehension. We talked about the size of the known universe, we can't even calculate. We, we have no real ability to comprehend the vastness of the universe that we live in, let alone the complexities of the stars and the planets and space itself. 
Even our own lives are so complicated at times, right? God is incomprehensible. He's so big. He's so marvelous, so wise. In fact, really all we can know about God is what he reveals to us because we don't even have the ability to comprehend who he is, right? So God sent his son so that we can understand him a little bit more. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, verse 26, jumping all the way down. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Fascinating. You and I made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? I mean, that's a huge topic. We could do a series just on that. I'll be in trouble with the staff. So suffice it to say, let's just boil it down, get to kind of the bigger picture here. Image and likeness basically symbolizes representation. We are God's representatives. We are like him on earth. Like he is in heaven, we're like him on earth. We'll get down to that in a moment. But suffice it to say, image is a status symbol, okay? You are the image of God. It doesn't have to do with intellect, power, or authority. It's who you are. See, that baby in the womb is as much in the image of God as the elderly person in their 90s. The person who's handicapped, the person who uh, struggles in this way or that way, just as much a human being as anybody else. See, our status as the image of God makes all of us sacred, each and every person sacred. There's only one race. See, racism is rooted in a lot of different myths. One of the big ones is the idea that there's different races. There's no different races. There's only one race, humanity. And we all exist in the image of God. We're all sons and daughters of the living God. And we're holy. We're sacred because of that image, because of that status that we have. Therefore, it's a big deal when you take someone's life. In fact, of all the sins that anyone could ever commit, premeditated murder is the big one. Why? Because life is sacred. If you're in the image of God and I take your life, I've killed God in effigy. I was, I was, it was an act of killing God because that's God in human flesh. We're the image of God here on earth. That's a big deal. Now, I say that because I want us to understand how, how sacred we are, each and every one of you, how important you are, how valuable you are to God and his plan. Your life matters. Hold it sacred and hold everyone's life around you as sacred. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'm doing that sermon or this series today because tomorrow it may be against the law. You know, when you think about that, right? We have that lady, where she, she's been in the news quite a bit. She's in another nation. And she sent 
some subject matter from the Word of God on human sexuality to her Lutheran uh, church, the board of directors, and she has been arrested, and she's in court. She uh, faces jail time because uh, when you present the Word of God verbatim on sexuality in some nations, it's a hate crime. And so I've been following that for the last couple of months. I think that they're in court. They might have made a ruling. I haven't checked yet, but uh, just shocking. We're going there, by the way. Okay, we're going there. We're halfway there. So who knows where this all ends up? We'll have to do code talk, you know, like John in the book of Revelation. Everything's a coded message. You know, he's talking about Babylon, but it's really Rome. But if he says Rome, there goes his head. So we'll get into code talk later if we have to. But suffice it to say today, I'm free to say this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Diverse but equal in status and worth. Male, female, different, but equal. Different, biologically different. In terms of their psyche, different emotionally. Different in their attributes of masculine and feminine, but one in the same, an equality of worth and dignity before God, both being equally human. Verse 28, this is where we come into what we call the Adamic covenant, the covenant made with Adam. It's the first of all the covenants we find in the scriptures. And all the covenants overlap and are interrelated. So we begin in Genesis 1:28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man, there's so much in that verse, right? Let's unpack this a little bit. It says, God blessed them. What does it mean to bless? What does it mean when it says, God blessed them? What is this concept of blessing? When you get into the Hebrew backdrop of this passage, it's almost breathtaking. What the Hebrew word to bless actually means is to empower someone, to actually enable them with power, right? The idea is God's empowering them, and in the Hebrew it means empowering them to prosper. God wants to prosper people. He wants people prosperous. He doesn't want them in poverty He doesn't want them sick and struggling. He wants people that are vibrant, healthy, wealthy. Poverty is not a virtue, people. It's a curse. God is not cursing his people. He's blessing his people. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You think there's sick people in heaven? You think there's poor people in heaven? God has always been a God who wants to bring life and life abundantly and liberty, happiness, creating creating a world in which you can pursue what he put in your heart that turns your wheels so that you can experience life in his fullness. So it says God, he blessed them. He empowered Adam and Eve to be healthy and wealthy. 
It says, be fruitful and multiply. That means have children. Lots of children. Now, I know that's really kind of like not PC today, right? I think you're only supposed to have 2.1 or 1.8. I don't know what happens to that second child, but anyway. Yeah, I came from a tradition where you, you really didn't have a family until you had about eight. Between eight and 12 was in the zone. You have a family now, you know? Now, I don't know what happened to me and Don. We only had two, but I think all 12 got boiled down into two. But he's telling them here, I'm going to empower you. I want you to experience what it means to love. You know, the, the, whole, the whole idea of love, the whole idea of love is it's never inward focused, it's outward focused. The nature of love is to pour out on its object all of its blessing and power and goodness. That's the nature of love. That's why God created us in his image, because he loves. And because he loves, he had to create something outside of himself, the focus of his love, so he could give all of his blessing and power to, because he loves. And God says, you know what? You have no idea how beautiful love is. You really don't, until you do what I just did. So procreate, create with me. Adam and Eve, have a child. Have a child so that you can know what love is. Let me tell you something. Uh, I love this woman. I've always loved her. I believe in love at first sight. It may not even be true. I don't know. I don't care. But I loved her at first sight. And I, t- I told God, God, if you're listening, if you're up there, you love me, you're listening, that's the one I want. I was like in 10th grade, 11th grade, something like that. And he did. He, he gave me this beautiful woman. She's been my wife for what? How many years? 41, 40-something years, yeah. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I love her more than I've ever loved her. It's just getting better and better and better. Not that we haven't had, you know, tough challenges in our marriage, and we've, we, we've had those times. You know, they asked Billy Graham's wife, did you ever think of divorcing Mr. Graham? Because, you know, everyone has battles in their marriages, right? Did you ever think of She says, of course not. I would never divorce him. That's unbiblical. I thought of killing him from time to time, but no, 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 not divorce. Anyway, that, that's okay. So I had a friend, he had several kids. Don and I, we'd been married for a year or two. And uh, he says, Mark, until you have kids, you really don't know what love is. I said, bro, I know what love is. Now, I, I know what love is. I, I love her. She loves me. We have this experience. No, I, don't tell me about love. I'm the, I'm the king of love. He says, you know nothing about love. I said, no, no. He said, no, until you have kids, you really don't know. I said, yeah, whatever. Well, later on, we had our first child. Never, ever had I ever imagined that my experience of love would just be exponential. From me and Don, all of a sudden, there was something so powerful, so beautiful that compelled us and even controlled us. You know, this Little baby in diapers can't even speak, so helpless, commanding our time and attention. I'm working harder than ever trying to provide, you know, and up all night, changing diapers, feeding at every little cry or attention. We're standing there, yes, sir, you know, yes, ma'am. Amazing. Why? Because we loved. 
There was something that we could pour everything that we are into. And that's what God was saying. God was saying, yeah, that's what I experienced. And I want you to experience that. So go, be fruitful, multiply, have lots of kids, fill the earth. This is the plan of God. This is his plan for humanity. He goes on to say, subdue it. Bring it under control. Order it. You know, the environment is quite wild. The Garden of Eden was tamed. The Garden of Eden was cultivated. It now became very productive. God says, expand the garden. Go throughout the earth and turn the world into a garden. Tame it. Subdue it. Cultivate it. Nurture it. The plan that God had given Adam and Eve was this. I rule the heavens. I rule the universe. I've made you in my image. You do the same as Papa. You're on the earth. You rule and reign over the earth like I rule and reign over the universe. What an amazing responsibility that God has given to us. This is what it means to be a human being means to rule and reign like your father in heaven, compassionately, wisely. Why? Because the animals, the earth itself is counting on you, counting on me to do the right thing, to sustain it, to nurture it, to tame it so that it can reach its potential in the plan of God as well. So the idea of ruling over this world is contained in the concept or the word dominion, dominion. We are given as human beings dominion, the right, the authority to oversee and govern our world because we're made in the image and likeness of God. That's why we get a rule and reign over this planet like our Father rules and reigns over the universe. Now the job that's given to Adam and Eve was much greater than they could accomplish on their own. It would require procreation, and the proliferation of, of, of humanity. So humanity, in the end, would be God's family on the earth. He already had a heavenly family with the angels, the heavenly hosts. Now he wanted an earthly family. And it's through his creation that we come into being. The basis of this plan of ruling and reigning with God on the earth as his representatives rests on what we call the institution of marriage. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit and then we'll come back to that. This opportunity to have the wisdom of God and the power of God and the authority to rule and reign, well, it was corrupted with sin. In fact, we lost our right to rule and reign as, God's, as, as what God had determined for us, we lost that due to sin and shame. In the original sin, it opened the door to death. What we, what we find in the biblical text is the minute that they sin and kind of do their own thing, fear enters in for the first time. They experience fear. And fear is the anointing of the serpent, by the way. The anointing of God is love. And perfect love what? casts out fear. So fear enters in, and with that comes greed and envy and jealousy. 
lying and cheating, sickness. Cain kills his brother. I mean, early on, there's this jealousy and envy, and he strikes and kills his own brother. So early on, after the fall, murder shows up. Not long after that, war, widespread misery. It's a broken and dark world because of sin. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. God was so disappointed. Pierced his heart. He was appalled by humanity's ongoing rebellion and narcissism. We're just hurting each other all around us. Even the, even the earth itself was being raped and pillaged. So what does God do? Well, he regrets making us and basically lays out a plan to genocide us through a universal flood. In fact, the entire human race, billions and billions of people at this time, die in that flood with only eight people surviving. Noah and his family. Billions dead and just eight human beings left. Now, this is going to be the rebirth of humanity. This, in a sense, is the beginning point for humanity once again. And like with Adam and Eve, God engages Noah in a covenant. Genesis 9, verses 1 through 7. And God blessed Noah. There's that blessing again, right? God empowers Noah to what? Be healthy and wealthy. Why? Because he's got a big task to do and it's going to take a lot of resources and a lot of strength. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Doesn't that sound familiar? That sounds like the exact phraseology we found with Adam and Eve. Yeah, so the plan doesn't change. Disobedience did not remove the plan. The plan is intact and is being rolled out under a new covenant. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. It means the same as go and rule over them. To, to, that phraseology, to be given into your hand, means you, you've been given power and authority over all of these that have been given to you. Exactly what was given to Adam and Eve is given to Noah because they're the new humanity. It's the rebirth of the human race. So the covenant comes back into view in Noah's day. Now again, marriage... Marriage, it's between one biological male and one biological female and is the basis for procreation and proliferation. Now, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have to say anything about that. But today, that's a big deal. When we say marriage is between one biological male 
and one biological female. It goes against everything our education realm and department is saying today. It's in contradistinction to that. It's really quite the opposite of that. We're required by God to teach our children. It's important for mom and dad to teach your children God's word, God's paradigms, God's concepts. Because our school system is turning those upside down and inside out. So you got to be able to teach your kids at home and give them God's perspective. So important for us. So let's talk about marriage. What is marriage from a Torah perspective, right? Genesis 2, 4 through 9. Let me just read down through this passage. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So in Genesis chapter 1, when we read about marriage, when we read about God making man in his image, male and female, that's kind of like uh, a summary of what had taken place. And in chapter 2, Moses unpacks all that and gives us more of a timeline of what was taking place in terms of this relationship between male and female. So it goes on to say, Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. And there was no man to cultivate the ground, but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. God says, let us make man in our image. So he makes man in his image. In his image he makes him what? Male and female. Now we get down to the details of what took place. When God went to make man, he took the earth and gathered some of that mud, right? He took some of the earth, the dust of the ground, and he formed a man. And it says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We are made of the earth. We are connected with the earth. The earth, in some ways, is our mother, if you will, in some ways. And then God breathes his spirit into us, and we become alive, a living being, a human being. So this is the creation of Adam. Adam's created first. He only creates Adam at this point. Then the Lord God planted a garden toward the east. You would think that he would have made Eve right right away, right? You would think, well, he just made Adam, so he'll make Eve now, right? No, he doesn't. He makes Adam. And after he makes Adam, he goes on to then plant a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. He makes man, breathes into his nostrils, his own spirit, man becomes a living being, 
Then God goes on to make a garden. How long did that take? Well, he certainly took his time on the previous six days, right? I mean, you think about how much time God took in creation, right? So he took some time to create a garden. Then he puts Adam in the garden. And then he tells Adam, what? Cultivate it. First, before he even cultivates it, it says that, that God caused trees to grow. He didn't make trees fully mature. He caused the seed to sprout and to grow. How long does it take for a tree to grow? It takes a long, long time. When you think of the time involved here of Adam being placed there and watching everything grow, it's a considerable amount of time. And then God says, all right, I want you to take care of it, cultivate it, sustain it, care for it. I don't know how long that timeline is, but it's significant. Later, verse 18, it says this. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. A whole lot of time has transpired. And then God says, I think Adam needs a helper. It's not good for him to be alone, right? Loneliness, loneliness is a heavy burden to carry. We're social beings. We need others to relate to. And besides that, the tasks that he's given to Adam, they're too much for Adam alone. Adam needs companionship, friendship, someone he can relate to, and someone that can help him. So God determines he's going to make her a help or him a helper. Verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Now, again, chapter two is kind of breaking this all down. This is incidental, not sequential. If you want the sequential uh, series of events, that's chapter one of Genesis. Suffice it to say, he's got a garden. He's taking care of things. He's cultivating. He's a farmer. And God's also saying, oh, Adam, I need you to name all the animals. How many animals do you think there were? Do you know how long it would take to do that process? I mean, we're talking about a lot of time here, people. I'm really intrigued by it. Now, in giving names to the animals, Adam is going to what? Be observing them. And based on his observance, he's going to give names. Names that kind of reveal the characteristics of the animals. That's kind of how you do that. Surely he would note, hmm, they're male and female. They come in pairs. They have like litters or, you know, the ability to recreate themselves. Do you think Adam's thinking here? What about me? I mean, you have to be thinking that if Adam has any IQ at all, he's got to be saying, what's up with that? You got these pairs of everything. And I'm alone. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Obviously, at some point, Adam becomes painfully aware that he has no corresponding mate. Surely, he's beginning to comprehend loneliness. Verse 21, so the Lord 
the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, if you read on, uh, he made Eve and he brought Eve to Adam and Eve doesn't have one stitch of clothes on. By the way, neither does Adam. But you can imagine Adam, right? Turns around, God says, behold Eve. He turns around, there she is. What do you think he said? He said, whoa, man. And we get her name, woman. Actually, the Hebrew, <laughs> the Hebrew is Isha. And then he, he qualifies his own name for the first time as Ish, man and woman. Let me give you the complete Jewish Bible's translation. I think it does a better job in ca- capturing the Hebrew uh, of these words. The man person said, at last. Don't you love that? Think about that. In the Hebrew, what, what Adam's saying is, at last, what Adam's saying is, I've been naming all these animals I've been cultivating. It's been such a long and wearisome time. At last, someone for me. You know, at last, finally, she's here. At last. This is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She is to be called woman because she was taken out of man. My firstborn daughter, Jessica, on her wedding day, oh my gosh, she came out on a balcony. Me and Josh and Martin and others were under the the hoopah on the stage below, and she came out high on a balcony. And uh, I turned and looked at my daughter in her wedding gown, and she is, she is like, she's got a great smile. She has my big teeth, right? So I turned and looked at her, and she came out on the balcony, and she's just smiling. And then she turns and looks at everyone, and then she smiles really big, just teeth everywhere, just this big smile that only Jessica can do. Actually, Shana does the same one, but... Shannon wasn't there yet, but she smiles at everyone, and I started crying right away. I'm thinking, what? What's this? You know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm thinking, don't look at her, don't look at her. So I thought, I gotta look, I gotta, look. I'll look at Josh, I'll look at Josh, I'll be okay. I look at Josh. Josh is crying. I thought, oh, brother, man, it's all going downhill from here, right? But what a wedding! And I'm so thankful for my son-in-law. He's a great husband gift of God to me. So we come down through that whole wedding celebration and I'm waiting for their recessional where they're going to walk down the aisle as man and wife, husband and wife, and every, every couple picks their like exit song, right? Every couple. Josh picks like the best song ever. It was the 
best, man. Start crying again. It's like, no way. They're standing there. The song comes on, and guess what song it gets? It is from Etta James, At Last. Expressing the heart of Adam when he saw Eve, right? At last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over, and life is like a song. Oh, yeah, yeah. At last, the skies are blue. My heart was wrapped up in clover. The night I looked at you, I found a dream that I could speak to, a dream that I could call my own. I found a thrill to press my cheek to, a thrill that I've ever known. Oh, yeah, yeah. You smiled, you smiled. Oh, and then the spell was cast, and here we are in heaven, for you are mine at last. I'm thinking, Etta James, that is like the best paraphrase of Genesis 2 I've ever heard put to song. But it embodies this whole idea of marriage, of a man and a woman becoming one in marriage in a covenant that is only theirs to share in. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They start their own family unit. The mandate of dominion goes on through marriage, extended by families and children. This is how we fulfill the mandate to take dominion over our world. It's done through marriage and procreation families that are extending what God has given to us this blessing, this wealth, this prosperity to everyone around us, even to the world itself, to the earth itself. So in summary, marriage originates with God. It's an Edenic institution. It's pre-fall. It's the ideal. It's between one biological male and one biological female intended for a lifetime. It is a transcendent blessing for both the man and the woman. Together, they will find and enjoy friendship, camaraderie, romance, true and abiding love. They will have children and find in them a love and fulfillment that is unmatched with anything else. So an application, let's get down to application, where the rubber meets the road. So you want to get married. That's good. Here's a good plan. It's ideal no, no, one, no one reaches the ideal. We're all kind of reaching for it. So do your best and move towards it. But here it is. Men, first and foremost, discover who God made you to be and what he's called you to do. Got to know who you are. Got to come to terms with yourself and what God says about you and how he made you and how to relate to God as a son, Right? Got to have identity in him. Get that identity identity thing straightened out. Find out what he's called you to do. You know, what moves your heart? What does he place deep inside of you that you just love to pursue? Whatever that is, that's what you set your heart on and begin to pursue it. Refine that through a solid education. Refine who you are and what you're supposed to do with a solid education. And then get a solid job with good income. You think a woman's going to like marry you just because you're good looking? Sorry, fellas. 
That's not what moves a woman's heart, right? Get a solid job, get some good income going. Now you're ready to ask God for that woman that you will need in your life in order to create a family. Do not date anyone until you're ready to settle down and have a family. My, you know, the idea of dating in high school's crazy Bill. They call it puppy love, but like Billy Graham said, it's real to the puppy. What do you think is going to happen if you're dating long before you can get married? We call those unwed pregnancies. The power of God's design and our sexuality, you're not going to make it to the altar prior to getting pregnant if you're dating before you're ready to be married. So what do you do? You don't date until you're ready to settle down and have a family. And men, that means you work on who you are, get your education, get your cash flow going, then start looking around, then start the dating process. If you marry before you can provide for her, you may bring some economic hardships that will diminish your intended happiness. Women, discover who God made you to be. You need to find your identity in God and who you are in Him and what He says about you and what He's called you to do and what, you, what your strengths are, right? You need to figure all that out too. Come to terms with yourself and who you are in Him. And then whatever it is that's in your heart to do, refine that through education. Get a solid job with good income. You need to get a job too with income. Proverbs 31. The picture of that biblical wife is she brings income into the household too. That's important, especially nowadays. Sad to say, but it almost takes two incomes now to make ends meet. I, you know, it's crazy. But I really believe that a woman should know who she is, just like the man's supposed to know who he, he is. That she's supposed to pursue what God's put in her heart too. That she needs an education also. And a way to make income. That'll be next week. Let me finish this. Once you're there, you're ready to ask God for that man that you desire to help and to also create a family with. You too should not be dating anyone until you're ready to settle down and have a family. If you date before you're ready, you will have undue hardships. You'll either compromise sexually before you were married or you will marry before you can fully help him and thus bring your husband hardships that are unnecessary that will diminish God's intended happiness for you. As parents, we have an obligation, we have a responsibility to teach our children and teach them well. And we're all coming from different places. So you know what? Uh, we, we, it, this is not about, it doesn't matter where you are. There's always new beginnings. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made already. There's always new beginnings. 
So wherever you're at, you just begin to line up with God. Say, okay, God, where do I go from here? How do I start rebuilding at my place, right? And that's where you start. But for all of us, we need to teach our children biblical concepts of marriage, biblical concepts of, of sexuality, the biblical ideals of responsibility for both the man and the woman, and help guard them and guide them in this process because it's everything. You'll never experience the levels of joy and happiness that are there in marriage, outside of marriage. The love, the happiness is all the way up there. And also the pain can be just as deep on the other end if you get it wrong. And that doesn't mean if you get it wrong, there isn't grace doesn't mean if you're divorced, well, it's over, I'll never be married again. No, there's grace for everyone. The idea is, is we've got to line up with God, do it His way, and in doing it His way, and we never do it perfectly, but we increase our chances to experience the intended happiness that He wants all of us to have. So wherever you're at, you start there and return to God in his ways and make sure you impart that to your children and they'll do it even better. I'm so, I'm so excited about my girls. They're, they're, you know, my girls, they're, they're going to go farther than me and Don. And me and Don went a lot farther than our parents, you know? And, and my parents went farther, farther than their parents. And I just see this generational thing, just climb, 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 climb. That's where we're at. So, you don't have to worry about getting there in your generation. You just do your part to take it up a notch and your kids will do their part to take it up even higher and we'll change the world around us. We'll take dominion. We'll advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And in the day that he comes, we'll have our greatest joy. It'll be a great day, a wonderful day. Hallelujah. Shabbat shalom. Oh yes, by the way, we have prayer teams right after this. Hey, let's do this. Let's do this. I got two minutes. Any question? Do you have any question on this? Anyone have a burning, passionate question? Please. Okay, Robin has a question. Okay, take this to Robin. Let's turn this back on. Thank you, Alex. So we know what uh, Adam said to Eve when he first saw her. What did Eve say back? Is this a question? That's a question. What did she say? She said, don't forget to take out the trash and I want coffee. You know, that, that's good. Is that what you do? Is that what you're doing, Robin? Is that your question? Is that really your question? Uh, you're wasting my, question. my golden two minutes, man. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. All right. All right. Well, anyone else? Try to squeeze one more in. All right. Alicia, a little bit more serious question coming. I can feel it. <laughs> okay, so um, we've had a lot of um, especially in our nation, these two ideas of these extremes in both directions. You have a more conservative approach where, you know, the man's the provider and the woman's at home, and then you have a more liberal approach where it's kind of flipped, um, or like, you know, they're out both out working and stuff. And, um, you know, we've all seen kind of the breakdown of both of those things where there's this imbalance of responsibility, of power, of influence, 
and um <laughs> it's going hurry up and, <laughs> right? and um and so you have this picture now of like both the parents working both of the parents contributing and kind of having these equal power which is um better and healthier um but then when the children come along and then there's they're both like stretched thin and then there's the school system how would they balance that as well okay so it's ever-changing and depending on what nation you, you're living in, you know, it has its own culture and so forth that applies a lot of pressure. So um, we don't need any more batteries, Chris. We're done with that anyway, but thank you. So the idea is this. It's ever-changing. What are the principles of God's word, though? What does God say, right? It's very, very clear. Adam is the primary provider. We're going to look at this next week. But that doesn't mean Eve doesn't have to do anything. Now, Eve contributes in her way to the family, which is equally as important as Adam's. And some of that includes bringing income into the home. Now, now it doesn't mean she has to, you know, if, if she's married to, you know, Bezo, <laughs> why work? But she might work because she wants to work, but she doesn't need to work is the point. But the idea is this, that the wife sometimes needs to bring income in, especially if it's tough economically for the nation uh, at the time, and it's, it's requiring more. And there's nothing wrong uh, with a woman working, having a career, and bringing money into into the home. Uh, yeah, there's balance to that. There's a way to do that that I think uh, works in a way that you can get way out of bounds on. But, um, we, you know, I'm a big advocate of wives bringing money into the household. <clears throat> so just thought I'd throw that out there at, at the end. I know. I try to be funny. It's not that funny anyway. I have on my sermon, no jokes. I should pay attention. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. You're amazing in every way. We love you. You're the divine matchmaker. You're all about romance. You've given us such a great institution. Just pray that you would help us, all of us, be strengthened in our understanding and that we would invest in that, that we'd love each other, husbands loving their wives, wives honoring their husbands, and, and that you would teach us how to raise our children, investing in them all of your blessing. We love you so much. We bless you. We thank you. And we thank you also for forgiveness when we blow it and for new beginnings when we need them. We love you. We bless you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat shalom.